what I have found in writing this book and thinking about this idea is that Jesus is the king who gives and that when we give our allegiance to him, he's asking for that our whole heart because it is for our joy. He wants to give himself to us. So he is a Mm. king who gives in return. All other kings that vie for our allegiance, they are kings who only take. They promise, Mm. but they take. Welcome to Compared to Who, the podcast to help you stop comparing and start living. I'm your host, Heather Creekmore. I hate to admit this, but I used to secretly obsess over my appearance. I thought it was part of my job as a woman to always look better, but never felt like I could be good enough. Maybe you can relate. But God, in His grace, He showed me a way out, and I want to give you all the tools you need to break free, too. If you've ever spent too much time stressing over your looks, I get it. I hope you'll keep listening and find the same freedom I have. Here are three other things you need to know about me. I'm a minivan driving mom of four elementary age kids. I'm author of the book Compared to Who and a blogger at ComparedToWho.me. And you just may have seen my epic bake fail on Netflix. If you've ever struggled with comparison or body image issues, Compared to Who is the show for you. I hope you enjoy today's episode and tell a friend about it. Thanks for listening to the Compared to Who podcast. I'm Heather Creekmore, and I think today's episode is going to be a whole lot of fun because I have the opportunity to talk to Christine Hoover. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Christine is a pastor's wife. She's mom of three boys. She's host of the By Faith podcast, and she's author of several books. Her latest book is With All Your Heart, Living Joyfully Through Allegiance to King Jesus, but other books include Messy Beautiful Friendship and Searching for Spring. Christine has contributed to the Gospel Coalition for the Church and Christianity Today. She's originally a Texas girl, but she and her family live in Charlottesville, Virginia, where they planted a church in 2008. Christine, thank you for being on the Compared to Who podcast. Thank you for having me, Heather. I always love chatting with you. It's so fun. And it's been fun for me because I live in Austin now, as you know, and I keep running into all of these Aggie friends of yours. (laughs) So that's been super fun. (laughs) Yeah, we are everywhere. We are everywhere. And you're good, good people to hang out with. Well, hey, I noticed in your list of previous books that you left off a couple and they were ones that were really important to me. So I wanted to make sure (laughs) that they got a shout out because you wrote a book. It was your first book called The Church Planter's Wife, right? Or did I, did I mess that up? Yeah. The Church Planting Wife. Yeah. Yeah. So we planted a church almost a decade ago and everybody was like, you have to read this book. And I couldn't wait to read it. And it was so helpful. So if you're listening out there and you're a church planting wife, or even a pastor's wife of a newer church, it would be an amazing read for you. But then there's another book you have called From Good to Grace. And Christine, you you nailed me on that one because that was my story too. Would you mind just telling everyone a little bit about, you know, what the premise of that book was and kind of your story and all of that? Yeah, sure. Well, that book is really my life, my life story. It's not a memoir, but it was a book that God was writing in me for so long that it became my message. Every time I could meet with, at the time, a college girl when we were doing college ministry in Texas or in our church plant here in Virginia, that's just what I love talking about is what God had done in my life to help me to understand grace. Because I grew up in a church that 
whether I didn't hear it or it wasn't communicated, I'm not quite sure, but I did not get the why behind the what of what we were doing as Christians. Mm -hmm. I got the what, I got the what to do, what not to do, what a good Christian does, what a good Christian does not do. But I didn't understand the gospel behind those actions. And so I lived for 20 plus years of my life as a Christian, thinking that I had to do things in order to keep my standing with God. I had to kind of keep that checklist that I just mentioned of what to do, what not to do. And if I didn't, that God was angry with me and that I had to do things to make up for that. And so really obedience was a means of earning God's love. And it wasn't until my late 20s and I was already married and my husband was a pastor and I really, really struggled when he went into the ministry. I struggled a lot because I could not manufacture love for people. And that was really the first hint. And there had been hints along the way that I was not understanding things. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand when people talked about God's love or that there was joy in being a Christian. To me, it was just duty and obligation and it wasn't full of joy. And so when I realized I cannot manufacture love for people and I'm just kind of drowning under these standards that I think that God has for me and that I, I honestly had for myself or thought other people had for me as a pastor's wife, that was when God really began to change my life and to show me through his word specifically through the book of Galatians, what the gospel actually is that Mm. instead of obedience being a means to an end to get something from God that I already had been accepted and loved by God because of what Jesus had done, uh, done on the cross for me. And so when I understand that obedience is, is an outflow of worship because of what I already have Mm -hmm. that acceptance and approval. And so that was just a huge mind, soul life shift for me. Yeah. It changed the way that I minister to people. It changed the way I handled spiritual disciplines. It hand, it changed the way I served. It changed why I served. It changed my relationships and my ability to forgive other people because I was a pretty judgmental person because mm. if I'm going to keep these standards, well, I'm going to hold these standards over other people's heads as well. And so I was, I was pretty isolated from people, but also judgmental toward them. And so just in every single way, it changed the understanding the gospel changed my entire life. And so that book from good to grace is just what I learned, what God showed me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to speak to people like me who I could speak the language of church's obligation and Christianity yeah. is joyless. And I, the perfectionism, I wanted mm. to, I wanted to speak to those people who could speak that language and say, guess what? That's not the gospel. And that is not mm. God. And that's what that book is. Yeah. And it's, it's so good. So if you're listening today and you haven't read it and any of that resonated with you, go get that book right now on Amazon um, because it will touch you. And I think it's funny. So we kind of had a, a brief exchange before we started recording here, but I think that understanding of grace is really a big key to our struggle with comparison, right? Because without grace, we're all perfectionists in some way, shape, or form. I mean, even if you don't label yourself as a perfectionist, there's ways that you're trying to make your life better. And without that understanding of grace, it's it's just impossible. It's impossible to reconcile what, you know, how this whole thing works. So Christine, so we know that you struggled with grace. Have you ever struggled with comparison? Um, yes. Hasn't everyone? (laughs) 
may have, but you know, we're yes. giving you a chance to be honest here. <laughs> oh yeah. I definitely have struggled with comparison and I'm, I'm going to talk kind of post that grace revolution in my life because I obviously struggled with it before. Yeah. But even after coming to an understanding of grace, comparison has been something that I have wrestled with. And I think it's come for me in two main areas. And what I find is, is you'll hear in a second when I tell you what those areas are, but I think it's usually comparison for me is a struggle when it is something, um, an area of life that I'm really passionate about myself mm. Okay, or someone who is very like me. Mm when it's someone who's like me or lives similarly to me, that's where I struggle with it the most. Uh So that's come up for me in ministry through comparing myself to other pastor's wives. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that's not so bad because I can look at other women that I respect and admire who are down the road, further down the road than me and say, wow, I just see God using them. And I love that. And I want to emulate them. Mm -hmm. But that has turned in more insidious to I have to be like them, Mm. even though they're different than me or they have different gifts than me. Or to be very frank, uh, we have worked with other people on staff where I have have felt in competition with Mm. the wife. And because we are kind of doing the same thing or we're similar, it's like in my heart, I want to win, so to speak. I want Uh to be the favorite one or I want to be the one that people go to or that they admire. And so that's been where I have seen it come out, but also in writing and comparing myself to other authors and something that I love to do. And I want to have opportunity to do, and I want, and I do want my words to have impact and to help people. And when I see that God is using other people in ways that I would say are more influential or Mm -hmm. maybe in greater ways, that is something where I have compared myself and, and seen how I've I had come up short and I'm not like them. And I can sometimes think, well, why is God withholding from me? Why didn't he give me that opportunity, but he's giving that person. So those are kind of the two main areas where it's been a consistent battle. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. In both of those areas, <laughs> I get <Yeah>. it <laughs> for sure. So what do you do with it? What do you do <laughs> when you're in that battle? Well, I've learned over time, I'll, I'll speak to the ministry one first with other pastor's wives. I've learned over time that every pastor's wife is different. And I used to mm. think there was kind of this mold that mm-hmm. I had to fit into. I think every pastor's wife goes through this. Uh-huh. You know, there's this mold. This is what it means to be a pastor's wife. And we, we base that on what we've seen before or who our pastor's wives have been. And so I think that we, that's kind of the first thing is like releasing that mold and going, you know what, God has created me in a very unique way and he's put me in a very unique context. And so he has a purpose for me here. So what, what are those things. Like what are the gifts? How does he want me to use them? What is my context? And just kind of focusing more on what does God have for me to do? Because that's going to be really different than everyone else around Mm. me, even people who are on the same team as me. And but not that that's where it becomes hard again. Cause I just said people who are doing the same things, that's where it kind of gets hard for me. Mm-hmm. I've learned to celebrate to look for and to thank God for privately, but also verbally telling that person what I see in them, that God is using them in that way. And to celebrate privately means to say, wow, I, 
you know, sometimes I wish I had that gift or I wish I was like that, but I can see how God is using them to reach people that I, in my personality, my gifts that I would never be able to connect with. So I can celebrate that and I can thank God for that. But then to actually go to that person when there are opportunities to celebrate them verbally and to say to them, I see this in you and Mm. I'm thankful for that. There's something about verbally expressing that, that I think really helps me to Mm. actually believe it, to actually go, you know what? We are different, but we're both being used by God. And even to celebrate to other people, that person to Mm -hmm. say to people in our church, like this woman that I'm serving alongside, isn't she amazing at what she does? Because she really is. And God is using her. So I think just creating a culture from starting in my heart of celebrating, Mm -hmm. but also a culture because we do have influence as pastor's wives Mm -hmm. to create a culture of celebration in the church as well of other women. Yeah, I think that's really good. I mean, and I know it's it's hard sometimes because everything within you is like, I don't know if I feel like this is fair, God. (laughs) Or, and especially when it comes to writing, I know personally, it's been like, oh, wait, that's my topic. (laughs) What? You know, but I've, I've kind of learned the same thing. It's like, you really have to get over what Stephen Covey calls like the, the scarcity mentality, right? It's like, there are enough women for all of us. (laughs) Like every woman who's ever written a word, there's, there's enough women (laughs) for, for everyone to read all of our words. And like you said, some of us are going to speak the language, like with good to grace. I mean, you were definitely speaking my language in that book, but maybe someone who didn't grow up in the church that might, you know, not necessarily be the message for them. It's like, God's given us each a message and he's also given us an audience for those messages. But, but yeah, comparison, comparison's a little sneaky. Yeah. (laughs) Well, even with, with writing, I think sometimes that what's helped me, because that's where I can really struggle because it is so isolating. You're on your own mm-hmm. and you're kind of in your head a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I try to think is when I'm finding myself, comparing myself to another author and thinking, wow, they just have this opportunity that I would love to have. Well, I can ask God for that opportunity, but I also have to trust God that if he doesn't have that for me right now, which if it's not coming to me, he doesn't have it for me right now. Yeah. But that is for my good and my protection. There are times mm-hmm. where I think, I don't know if I could handle the amount of influence that other people have. Mm-hmm. And obviously I can't yet or may never be because God has, he has given me the exact influence or opportunities that he wants for me. And so that I have to think of that as my good and my protection. That helps me when I'm yeah. comparing. body image been bogging you down for too long, it's time to get free. My friend, go to compare take your free body image awareness quiz. You will learn amazing things. You'll get your results right away. And I think you'll have fun too, because I mean, who doesn't love to take quizzes? Go to compare There's lots of great resources on that site, articles about body image and comparison and how you can find freedom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Check it out today, right after this episode, of course. That's really good. Yeah, it's like the Psalm 16 passage, I think, is where it's like God has drawn my boundary lines and, and they're good. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I, that's always a good reminder for me. It's like, yeah, okay, God, you, you've set 
set before me this course and you have a reason. You know, sometimes that can be hard to swallow in, in other areas of our life. So let's transition to your new book on yeah. false allegiances. So first, what I want you to do is just explain to me what that premise is and then kind of tell us what's going on with that book. What's that a book about? Okay. Well, it's called With All Your Heart living joyfully through allegiance to King Jesus. And it's basically using kingdom language, which I, I got into this idea because I was studying the book of Matthew and Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than he talks about anything else. Mm. And I didn't understand what the kingdom of God was. Like I sort of had this generic idea, but I didn't quite know what that meant. So I just started thinking about that and digging into it more and discovering that this idea of the kingdom of God and that we have a king, King Jesus, that he, my whole allegiance is to go to. And I think sometimes I think about that in terms of negative connotation, like I have to obey or <laughs> I have to give all to him. Uh, but I don't think of that always as a positive thing. But what I have found in writing this book and thinking about this idea is that Jesus is the king who gives. And that when we give our allegiance to him, he's asking for that, our whole heart, because it is for our joy. He wants to give himself to us. So he is a mm. king who gives in return. All other kings that vie for our allegiance, they are kings who only take. They promise, mm. but they take. So body image, which is something you would just dig down deep into, this promise of perfection, this promise of if I just chase this perfect body or this whatever it is, the standard that you have, that if I reach that, I'm going to get what it promises. I'm going to get this feeling of being at peace with myself. Mm. Well, we can chase that all day long and it promises that, but we, it is not an allegiance or a king that ever gives what it promises. But when we chase Jesus and we seek him and we give ourselves to him, he is a king who gives in return. He gives himself. He gives who he is, which is peace and joy and all these things that we chase in other ways. And so really in the book, I, I wanted to dig into what, what does Jesus say in Matthew are the things that are going to vie for our allegiance. Mm -hmm. So each chapter I'm, I'm talking about different ones like anxiety and control and comfort and a bunch of different things that Jesus addresses. I wanted to explore that and because they're more subtle, right? I mean, there's, mm -hmm. we know that the world beckons with, you know, sexual morality or whatever. Mm -hmm. We, we know that, but what are the subtle things that every day we tend to turn toward for looking for joy and peace and security? So that's what the book is about is just like, you know what? These false allegiances, they do not give. Let's give our hearts to Jesus because he gives. That's really good. I cannot wait to read it. Tell me what is your biggest false allegiance? Hey there, how much is freedom worth to you? That's kind of an odd question, right? When I was in the midst of my struggle with disordered eating and body image, I would have paid anything I had to be free. Truth is, I spent a lot of my budget on things I thought could help me be free, like new diets, exercise gizmos, clothing, but none of those things really helped. I'm so grateful that God showed me the way out. And now I'm passionate about helping others find their way out too. I want them to know that Jesus already paid it all. They don't have to spend another cent to find the freedom they really desire. But truth is, it does cost me something to get this message out, compared to who can't spread the message of Jesus' offer of freedom without the help of women like you. Would you consider making a contribution? 
Check out Compared to Who's Patreon page at patreon.com slash compared to who. Then prayerfully consider giving $1 or $5 a month, whatever you can to help. Any amount you'd be willing to donate would be a huge blessing and will go directly towards covering the operating expenses of this ministry. Thank you for being a part of seeing other women set free from the chains of body image and comparison. May God bless your generosity. Tell me, what is your biggest false allegiance? Well, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> I just pick one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because as I was writing this book, doesn't this always happen? God is working it out in your own heart. Uh-huh. Me. So as I was writing this book, and you'll even see these stories in the book where I was just like, something's not right with me. I feel mm. off. I feel, you know, I feel... That's the thing is I couldn't even name it at the time, but now I can look back and see I was dealing a specific example. I was dealing with some envy in my relationships with my friendships. Okay. And I just felt for months and months and months, this unsettledness and things were changing and I wanted to keep them the same. And how do I go back to the way it was and what do I need to do? And finally, I realized that at the heart of it was was this allegiance to myself, to, Hmm. to being able to control situations and other people to, uh, having a sense or being able to manufacture a sense of belonging Hmm. and these kind of static friendships. I always, I kind of have this wish dream as I call it, messy, beautiful friendship of static friendships that they don't change Mm -hmm. and they're always dependable and, And so all of that was changing. And I realized that I was very envious of other people's belonging and deep friendships. And so through that, I realized that the heart of it is I don't trust God. I don't trust Mm. that I have a king who gives what I need. I, I am trying to pursue my own, my own self, what I want, my own agenda. So that was just an, that's an example I use in the book, but I see this in so many ways of of me trying to control, trying to plan, trying to look to myself as the answer. I think that's Mm -hmm. how we know what our false allegiances are is when am I looking to myself Mm. as the answer to whatever issue I'm facing or restlessness that I have? How am I trying to meet that need versus Mm. turning to my king and asking him to provide and to help me? Yeah, that's really good. I mean, and that applies kind of perfectly to the body image issue, right? Because it it feels like it's all on me. If I could just change this shell I've got, (laughs) you know, if I could just kind of fix my body in this way and that way, then everything would be better in my life. And we just know anecdotally and really the research shows that even women that have that body still struggle. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. You mentioned comfort. And I think that's, that's an interesting one. That's one that when I hear about it, I'm always like, Oh, ouch. Yes. I like yeah. comfort. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. So spell that one out a little bit for me. Well, I think we're all seeking some sort of sense of home, some sort of sense of what I would say rest of mm-hmm. being kind of done with our work, being done yeah. with service, being done. In the book, I use uh, the analogy of as an introvert, I always kind of dream of the moment when I'm done with the day and I can go home and not have to mingle and talk and Mm -hmm. I can be quiet and curl up with the book. And to me, that's the idea of comfort is being, is being done and being 
having everything the way that I, that I want it. It's comfortable for me. And as I was reading Matthew and just reading about how Jesus labels us and who he says we are, there's always this sense of us being servants and going out and doing things that are uncomfortable because the comfort comes later. There's this rest for the children of God and it comes when we're with him. And so I think seeking comfort, what we're looking for is we're really seeking him. The Bible says that he is the God of all comfort. And so to redefine that word for Mm. ourselves of what is, what is comfort actually? Because the truth is, is when I come home and I have an evening by myself, or the kids are in bed and Netflix and all that. I look forward to that. But then when it comes, it's not what I, my mind is already turning to the next day. Uh, it's not that I ever reach this sense of fullness and, and being done. And so I think what we're looking for is we're looking for the ultimate comfort, which is mm. coming later in heaven, but then also our savior, our king seeking comfort in him. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I know exactly what you mean about the the rest. I mean, I feel like that was part of my journey with my body image issues was thinking that someday when I got to that perfect size or, you know, got toned like I wanted to be toned or or whatever it was, yeah. that then I'd be able to rest. It was like if I could just, you know, get there then, you know, then I could just take it easy. But I mean, it's such a lie, especially when it comes to physical things. It's a lie in, in every area, but, but especially when it comes to physical things, it's like, you don't just like hit that weight and hit that level of, I don't know, fitness or whatever, and get to stay there. <laughs> like you have right. to keep working. Right. I think that's important to ask ourselves if, if we did get what we are thinking is going to satisfy us. Is that going to solve all of our problems? When I was yeah. talking about writing and it, it being you know, wanting what other people have, I have to think about that and think, well, when I have that, am I going to Mm -hmm. be okay with, let's say this number of followers on Instagram or Mm -hmm. this many books sold? No, I'm going to immediately think of a higher number that I want to go. And so that helps me to be content with, with where I'm at and to be kind of present in that moment. So in terms of comfort, what am I really seeking I'm seeking the one who I already have in this moment who's with me. And I can ask him to whatever I'm dealing with, I feel anxious about where I can, I can cast that on to him and talk to him about that. And that he is going to be my cover, not food, mm-hmm. not shopping, not mm-hmm. a pound less or whatever. Yeah. I already have what I'm looking for. I just have to turn to him. Yeah. Yeah, nothing else satisfies, but it is hard to. Yes. I, mean, I, I mean, that was what I wrote my first book on was how getting that body doesn't satisfy. But I remember, like you said earlier, like God takes you on this journey when you're writing a book. And, and I think even when you're launching a book, where yes. it's like, okay, do you really believe like what you just wrote? And then the enemy comes in and he's like, see, you're mm-hmm. still struggling. You don't have this figured out. You have no business writing a book on this topic. But I remember going to all the conferences and hearing, hey, just so you know, publishing a book isn't going to satisfy you. Publishing a book isn't going to make your life any different than it is right now. And I would hear those messages and be like, yeah, no, I totally get that. Publishing a book. No, I'm not going to be idolatrous like that. Like I I know it's just a book, but let me tell (laughs) you, I struggled when that first book came out because it was like, why don't I feel any different? 
shouldn't right. feel different? Like, shouldn't everything be different in some way that it's not? And, and then like, there was this low afterwards where yeah. I was like, oh boy, that just didn't work at all. Like <laughs> that was not satisfying. I don't think I want to do this anymore. I think I'm just going to go crawl in a hole somewhere and, <laughs> you know, not do that because that was hard and it didn't satisfy me. Yeah. And just recognizing, yeah, like you said, I mean, anything we're running to for comfort or satisfaction or fulfillment or rest, those are just false allegiances to use your language. They're just idols and they don't do what they promise. Exactly. That's really good. Well, I cannot wait to read it and I can't wait for uh, my listeners to get a hold of it. I know it comes out, what, March 3rd? Is that what it is? That's right. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Christine, as we kind of wrap up today, what's one piece of encouragement that you would give to any woman listening who's struggling with her false allegiances or struggling with finding joy or, or anything? What's, what's one piece of encouragement you'd offer? Yeah. Well, I think just n- being able to acknowledge and name what your false allegiances are is a great first step. And the way that I, I would encourage you to do that is to think about where are you experiencing negative emotions? Mm. And I think a lot of times those are signs that point mm. us to there's some, there's some idolatry going on because I feel angry that I didn't get this, or I feel depressed because this is happening in my life, or I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm loved or I'm accepted or whatever it is. So acknowledging that, and then what we do in the next step, once we kind of can pinpoint, this is what I'm looking to instead of Christ is to turn away from it Mm. and to turn to Christ in prayer and to tell him first confess that. But then also I think we skip over sometimes this lament of just saying, God, this is my situation and I don't really like it. I think we're afraid to tell God that sometimes we think Mm. we got to get straight. We know what the truth is sometimes. And we just think we got to skip our emotions over to just saying, okay, that's what's true. And I'm just going to try hard to believe it. But I think stopping and just really lamenting to God and saying, God, I, I do feel unsure. I do feel angry. I do feel all these things because this is something I can't change in my life. And just telling that to him, but the whole point of turning to him to tell him is is my encouragement. Instead of turning to food or to, Mm. you know, Netflix or to whatever we want to comfort ourselves with or whatever we look to, to be the answer, when we turn to him, that's what we're, that's what we're meant to do. That's asking him, this King who rules and reigns and who can provide, we're asking him to do what he does to, to rule and to reign and to provide for his for his child. And so turn to him and ask him for what you need. And then we have to trust him. We have to trust mm. and wait on him because often when we've brought things to him in the waiting time is when we are going to be most tempted to turn to our false allegiances again. Mm. Because often our yeah. false allegiances are immediate. They're mm-hmm. They feel like a solution. They feel like something that will be a little bit of a Band-Aid or a salve and a wound. But, but we have to resist that temptation and continue to wait on him to answer or to move in our hearts or to speak to us of his comfort or whatever his truth would be in that situation. And so that would be my encouragement is know and acknowledge and then turn to the one who can give to you. That's really good. Have you read Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life? I have a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Well, so when you're talking about the lament part, I know, I know 
ironically enough, I know this, he had an old edition and the new edition has a chapter on lament that the old edition didn't. Oh. I had the old edition and everyone else in my book club had the new edition. <laughs> and so I got the lament on photocopy. Um, but it's, it's so true. And he talks about this in, in that book. Like we kind of skip over that part, that that part of just acknowledge, like we can, maybe we can sense the emotions. Although I think sometimes even that part is hard. We just get so used to living with these negative feelings sometimes that we don't stop and ask ourselves, okay, why is my stomach all a mess over this? You know, so like listening to that, that is so important. But then the next step of like not being afraid to go to God with, with the desires of our heart and, and our, our cries of, I'm kind of sad about this. I don't understand, you know, what's going on here. And um, anyway, I just, I think that's, that's really good advice to not to, once you hear that, once you've kind of sensed, okay, I've got an issue here to take that next step and, and in your repentance, give it all to God in an honest and authentic way, because he's not afraid of that. Like he can yes. handle it. He knows yes. anyway, like, who do we think we're hiding from? Right. right. Yes. And he wants to give to us. That's right. his joy. So yeah, I love, yeah, I love that you're connecting with it. Well, I'm excited to read it and I can't wait for everyone else to read it too. Christine, I know they can get it on Amazon and all the usual places, but tell my listeners where they can connect with you. Yeah, well, I'd love that. I'm at christinehoover.net and I have a podcast, By Faith Podcast. So I'd love for you to look me up on your, wherever you're getting your podcast too. Great, great. And I'll put that in the show notes too. So you can have the direct link and the spelling and all that good stuff. Well, Christine, thanks for being a part of the Compared to podcast today. It's fun to talk to you as always. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Hey friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute. Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the Start Here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word kainos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.